We're in the second week of a series we began last week about food for thought. We're calling it food for thought. And it's a, a chance for us during this season between Easter and Pentecost called Eastertide for us to journey through the book of 1 Corinthians together. Now, this will not be an expository line-by-line exploration of every chapter and verse in 1 Corinthians. No, we're going to do more of an overview. Particularly, we're going to look at food. We're going to look at these, this letter from Paul and, and focus on the ways in which he discusses meals. And if you're like me, you might find this focus on food pretty exciting. I don't know if you can tell, since I moved to Mobile, I've focused on food, I'm just saying. And, and I, one of the things I inherited from my family it was a healthy appetite and, and a proclivity towards good food. The only thing I think our bishop knows about me is I gave him a list of restaurants when he moved to Montgomery. And like six years later, he said, every time he sees me, the only thing he says, I still got that list. I use your list of restaurants all the time. I'm like, well, at least you know one good thing about me. That's it. Food is, is a main attraction of my family. We would plan our travel not around the attraction that we we're going to do, but around where we we're going to eat that night, right? So if we're going to go to Atlanta, the part of Atlanta we're going to spend the day in is based on where we're going to have dinner because food and meals are that important to me. And so I've got a soft spot in my heart for 1 Corinthians because Paul and this early church, they care a lot about eating. They care a lot about the things in which they are eating. I mean, there's some controversies around these things. Not everybody has an opinion. It's like if, you were to, if we were to ask everybody in here, what's your favorite Mexican restaurant in town? Some of you might say it's uh, La Casina. Some of you might say it is the, the now closed Fuego, which was sad. I mean, all these different things. The controversies got a little heated, even more heated than that in 1 Corinthians. I mean, they, they had controversies and conversations about what Christians could and could not eat. They had conversations and controversies about with whom they could and could not eat. What was the proper company for dinner? And then there was also these conversations about the most important meal of all. How do we participate in the Lord's Supper? And so for today's sermon, we're just going to lay a little bit of these foundations. We're going to try to get a little more acquainted with the city of Corinth, with the church there in Corinth, and the problems that Paul was trying to address in this first letter to one of the first churches ever founded. All right, so will you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. So let's turn first to the city, the city of Corinth, the ancient city of Corinth. There's a lot we can say about this booming metropolis. But if you want to remember the highlights of Corinth, then just remember the three Ps, all right? The three Ps about Corinth. The first is that it is a port city. Like Mobile, we have that in common. And if you're a port city, you have some unique qualities about your town, right? Being a city on the bay gives us unique particularities that places inland don't have, right? I'm going to show you a picture of where Corinth is. It's going to be right here on the screen behind me, okay? So Corinth is right here, okay? So what is unique about Corinth compared to Mobile is it's not just a port city for one body of water, but two. It has two different harbors. It's got a harbor here on the Saronic Gulf and a harbor here on the Gulf of Corinth. And so what would happen is that in the wintertime, whenever the seas would get too difficult to traverse all the way around the mainland, 
they had built a road where they could pull boats across the shortest geographical distance in the territory, which was in Corinth. Now there's a canal there, but used to they would pull it across the land. Corinth was a booming destination for merchants and travelers of all sorts. And as we know, as being a port city, it brings in all sorts of different trade, commerce, and people. Which brings me to our second P. This is a very pluralistic city. Pluralism, you know that word, it means you know, a variety, more than one discipline, more than one thing. Corinth has all sorts of people. It's got, got people that were there to trade. It's got people there that worked on ships. It's got people who migrated to live there. And, and there have been people there that were there for generations. And there are people there that were transplants. It had a lot of variety. Had a lot of different traditions. Because you know what happens when, when a lot of different people gather in one place. You get this hodgepodge melting pot of different types of foods and beliefs and traditions and all these different ways of seeing the world. In the ancient city of Corinth, there were 12 different temples. And whereas most of their cultural and religious influence came from Hellenistic Greek, there were also other religious traditions that ended up there in Corinth. There were all sorts of people and religions that people affiliated with and that tried to evangelize about. It was a melting pot in the same way the history of our great country is. People from all over the world coming into one place and bringing with them their history, bringing with them their experiences, bringing with them their, their identities from other parts of the world, and trying to form a whole community with all sorts of different kinds of people. Which brings me to the third P. Corinth is prosperous. Corinth is not some run-down town. It's not some backwoods place off the beaten path. I mean, having so much trade and influx of commerce meant that there was a great deal of wealth and notoriety for the city. I mean, second really only to Athens. An ancient historian said that Corinth hosted the biannual Isthmian Games, which began in 581 B.C. Only the Olympic Games in Athens every four years rivaled them in size and importance. This place is a big deal. It's a, a populated city. It's a prosperous city. It's a port city. And anytime there is a great concentration of wealth, there also tends to be a working class to serve the wealthy and the poor who are the outcast. So it's different people from all different types of places, but it's also people of different statuses, different castes, different socioeconomic identities, there's prosperity, but if I could throw in a fourth P, there's also poverty. That's what we're looking at in Corinth. And so there's no surprise that this disparity of wealth created great divisions. There's divisions in society between the upper class and the lower class. There's all sorts of divisions caused when you bring a whole bunch of people together from various backgrounds. And it's no surprise also that the church in Corinth mirrored that same culture. The church in Corinth had that same great diversity. When we look at the church as a whole, a little bit more about the church in Corinth, 
We, we see why Paul is writing a letter to these particular people. It's one of the first churches he's ever founded in the year 54. He's hanging out in Ephesus, and some people send him a letter about some problems that are going on, and he writes back, and that's how we get 1 Corinthians. We don't have their letter that he wrote to Paul, that they wrote to Paul, but we do have Paul's response, and that's what the church read to one another. This is a church that's made up of primary Gentiles, right? And by Gentiles, I mean people that were not Jewish, people that had never been Jewish, people that weren't Jewish and then converted to Christianity. There were very few Jews in Corinth. There were not none, but in some of Paul's other letters, the, the transition from Judaism to Christianity is a much heavier topic. Should you be circumcised? Do you have to follow the law first? What does it mean to be? But that was not as much of a big deal in Corinth. And it's also worth noting that this church is not set up like ours. Every week we get together here in worship. Everybody comes here. This is kind of the main place. This is, we often make the, the building synonymous with church. Right? The church is the people. We are the church. But we often say, like, I'm going to the church, as if to say, like, I'm going to the church and it's a building. That was not the case for these early churches. Really what they were, they were a bunch of different clusters, house churches, you could say, small groups around the city. And occasionally they would get together. And when they got together, they would worship and they would share a meal. And they would typically practice the Lord's Supper. So it's not surprising. It's not shocking at all. But the biggest issues that this early church would face is a lack of unity. I mean, if you could say there's one problem Paul is trying to talk about the entire time of 1 Corinthians, it's addressing divisions and a lack of unity. There were groups that had differing theologies about who could and could not be in the church. There was different opinions about what the church was and what it was and wasn't supposed to do. What was their calling? There were even those that believed that some people in the church had superior spiritual gifts to other people in the church. They thought like, if you could not articulate the gospel in an eloquent way, then your gift was not as important as the ones who could. Like the society at large, these factions were often divided over class lines, the wealthy and the poor. The wealthy and the elite saw themselves as better Christians, people more worthy of being in the church, more important than the working class or the poor. And I'm not sure if you can believe it or not, but there were even rival groups in the church trying to establish their authority, trying to, trying to assert their dominance, their power, by even questioning Paul's leadership. They were saying, there's other people we should follow. They're trying to undermine those that Paul left in charge. They're trying to assert their influence over the church because of their feelings of superiority because of their wealth or their status or whatever it might be. Lastly, the last thing I want to say about this early church in Corinth is that with all the divisions that it got itself caught up in, the things that they struggled with, the things that they almost all had in common, is they didn't think too kindly of non-Christians. You get this feeling that they looked down on the rest of the world because of what they deemed as inappropriate moral behavior. There are conversations and, and there, are, there are controversies about what is and is not appropriate moral behavior, but whatever it was, the Christians, you know, they figured it out and had it right, and everybody else they kind of looked down on as being not as important as those who were inside. There, there's this idea that there were insiders and outsiders, 
And the insiders were the good people and the outsiders were the bad people. These divisions and these problems for this congregation caused many in the church to say, we're the only ones that really matter. So this morning, as we ground ourselves, kind of, we, we, we kind of get this identity, a little bit better reflection of who this early church was. I, I say all these disparaging things, I feel bad. They also had a lot of good things going for them too. But we get to the, the point in the sermon where we get every week when we look at the Bible and we talk about scripture and we have to ask, like, why do we care? Why, why should we care about this group of people that lived 2,000 years ago? Why are Paul's words to them important for us today? I mean, we're not Corinthians. We're Mobilians. We're not a church plagued with divisions. We don't live in a time where the insiders aren't concerned with the outsiders. We don't have different opinions about how churches should run or what we should and shouldn't do or how we should spend our money or who should serve on what. And That's not us, right? You got that awkward pause, like, I don't know if I'm supposed to say anything. I don't want to get in trouble. I mean, like, we might not be Corinthians, but we're not perfect. We can admit that. Every week we get together at this table and we say we have sinned. We, we confess that we have failed God and we're trying to be a better church, but we can admit that we got some work to do. I mean, some of the problems that were fostered 2,000 years ago in Corinth, they, they are still problems that we're trying to address today. There are still divisions. There are still things that need to be healed. There are still things that we disagree about. We are still trying to figure out every day what it means to live with people that are not like us whoever us may be, even within our own church. We have things that we're trying to work out together. And so for these last few minutes, before I wrap up this morning, I would like for us to consider what it means to be a church that is made up of a lot of different kinds of people. Because that, if nothing else, is what the church is. The church, Big C, it's a global institution. It's a global group of people. It's an amalgamation of all sorts of different races and identities, nationalities, languages. And I'd even suggest here in our congregation, at Dauphin Way United Methodist Church, there is a diversity of opinion. There are differences in our experiences. There might be people that you disagree with sitting right next to you. And yet here we are worshiping together. Amen. We read from chapter 12, or we read earlier from chapter 12, um, and it's to me one of my favorite chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians because it paints for us a picture that each of us have a part to play in this church. Right. Our diversity is not something that should divide us but it's something that should unite us. It's something that should bring us together. It's something that should be a strength. But unfortunately, like the church in Corinth, there seems to continue to be this unofficial ranking of spiritual gifts that is irritatingly embedded within our community or within all communities, right? I mean, this hierarchy of spirituality, friends, it's a farce. It's not real. I mean, hear what Paul said just earlier before the verses we read today. He says this. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. 
There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. We're a group of people made up of different kinds of gifts, but they all come from the same place. They're all given by God. Everything that we have, we have because of God. And right after the verses we read, Paul makes this awesome analogy to our physical bodies about how one part cannot be more important than the other. He writes this, he says, now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it does not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong part of the body, it would not for that reason stop from being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? I think we are really good at telling ourselves, because I'm not in the band or I'm not in the choir, I don't really have anything to offer. I think we're really good at looking at those that, that, that teach Bible studies and say, I could never teach, so apparently there's really nothing for me to do. We think, if I'm not the preacher, th then I'm not really offering anything of importance. That's not right. That's not it at all. Here again, what we read, just as one body, though many, has part, many parts, all the parts form one body, so that with Christ, we were all baptized by one spirit, so we could form one body. Whether we're Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink together. Friends, if we have anything to learn this morning from this early church, if we have anything that can set the stage for the rest of this series, let it be a recognition that we too are made up by a whole bunch of different kinds of folks. We've got old people, we've got young people. We've got rich people, we've got poor people. We've got fishermen, we've got bankers, and everything in between. But all of us belong to Jesus Christ. Amen. All of us have something that we can offer for the sake of the gospel. God has given each of us a gift to make a difference for the kingdom. And I don't know everybody in here. I know almost everybody in here. I know most of you. But I do know this. Everybody in here is gifted. I don't know what your gift is. I don't know how God might be uniquely trying to prepare and empower and encourage you to, to make a difference. But I know God is doing that very thing. I know God has given you strengths. God has given you gifts. And God wants to use those to make the kingdom known on earth as it is in heaven. And we want to be a place where you figure that out. Where you're able to come together and ask, well, what are my gifts? What am I called to do? What is it that I need to be? I don't know what everybody's gift is, but I know that everybody's gifted. And if you're looking for a place to start serving the world on behalf of Jesus Christ, then, and then I pray you'll consider letting this be that place for you. You know, our goal is to have 50 new members and 50 tables over the next 50 days. The 50 days between Easter and, and Pentecost. And if you're looking for a place to belong, a people to journey alongside, I pray you'll consider making us that place. And if you're looking for a way to start discerning what it means to use your gifts, a chance to do that, then join us tonight at 4.30. Because at 4.30, it's going to be real easy. 
Wilson's already put it all together for us. You know, he's in charge of our mission stuff now. And he's already, he's already put together the whole way we're going to pack the flood buckets and the way we're going to pack the homeless bags. He's already put together for us that we're going to go to the community garden and the tasks that we're going to do. We're going to do tasks around the church so that when other people come here, they are blessed and they can experience the presence of God. We're going to put these buckets together because we know that another hurricane is coming at some point. We don't like it, but we know it. And we know people are going to need these to clean up their houses. And they do help a tremendous amount, more than you know. We know that these homeless bags are going to bless and help meet just the basic needs of those who are just looking for a little bit of help. And so if you're looking for a way to explore what your gifts might be, let tonight just be a start. Let it be a chance for you to say, you know what, I want to join a group of people that are trying to do good work in the world. And let that be enough. And that as we journey together as a community of faith, as you join a a, a supper club, as you join a small group, as you join a a class of some sort or Sunday school, uh, know this, that your presence, just your presence is a gift. It's a gift to those that you are with because that's what being the church is all about. It's about bringing people together, bringing together the things that make each of us unique our backgrounds, our experiences, and our gifts, and joining together as one body of Christ, helping the world to know that they are loved by the God who authored all things. So I pray that in tonight or the days ahead, you will consider more what it means for you to be a part of that work, for you to be a part of a community of faith that does that work together. I pray you'll consider making this that place. But know this, even with all of our things we celebrate, we do have our faults and our flaws, things that we're working through. There are all sorts of people in a group full of people that are made up of the church. But in this church, I can promise you, we believe that the best we can offer is to join together with our sisters and brothers to experience the power of the Holy Spirit moving through our lives to make the kingdom known on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.